Praise God. Hallelujah. Turn with me now to Turn with me now to John chapter 4. Last week we read John chapter 4. We'll reread um, verse number 34. Later on we'll read on all the way up to verse 37. But for now, let's read verse number 34. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Uh, come with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, we'll read verse 1 and 2. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, he was hungry. Uh, let's also read verse 18 and 19, which we are very familiar with. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The Lord add blessing to the reading of his word. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to gather together. We ask now that you will bless us and lead us and guide us and help us, eternal God, to be able to experience your grace and glory. As we do this, Lord, we're looking to you for help as we deliver your word. We pray that your people will gather hope, faith, and courage. And we take authority over all that's working against us at this time. And we specifically mount, oh God, a resistance against this, this um, acceleration of COVID-19 at this time. We take authority over it in Jesus' name. Oh Lord, we pray that you preserve our nation and turn this tide around. We believe in your power and we ask, Lord, that you will help us to continue to follow the guidelines that are there. But we go beyond that, Lord, and we mount up on our knees in prayer and call upon you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, because you're more than able to do far, exceeding abundantly above that which we can think or imagine. We seek these mercies in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. You may kindly be seated. Last week, we introduced ourselves to the new theme as was launched on um, 
the crossover night. And let me recap the things that we went through. First, reminding ourselves that the theme for us as a local assembly, which is aligned to the theme for the entire fellowship, because we have a unified theme this time around, for the first time in the history of our fellowship, all around, is community transformation, revisiting the mission of Christ. This theme is based on the following. First, it's based on our mission statement, which is to bear empowered, Christ-centered, transformational witness that impacts every sphere of society. Now, it is important that over time we unpack this mission, and that's part of what the teaching of um, over the next few weeks is, unpacking a little bit of this mission statement, out of which we have extracted the theme for the year. And the theme for the year is simply like an objective, a general objective for this 12-month period. But we've got to be able to unpack some aspects of why we are here, who we are, and what we are about. That's that what this mission statement is, and we will unpack it as time goes. Out of this, we've extracted an overall vision focus, and that is spirit-empowered transformation. And um, uh, a little more specific then, we've been able to craft a vision statement around this general vision focus. And our vision statement is a spirit-empowered mission or church equipped and established, bearing transformational witness to the nations. In other words, when we are looking at the completed picture, the big picture, at the end of all things, this is where we expect ourselves to be. And we're driven by Luke chapter 4, verse 18 to 19, which we will preach on many times this year. And then Romans 16, verse 25 to 27, which is also uh, something we will unpack a lot more as we go on this year. It is said, vision is caught. But mission has to be taught. Because mission is who we are, what we are about. Mission is taught. That is why the sermons that the Lord has given us to share are deliberately focused around some portions of our mission statement because a mission has to be taught. A mission is like your job description. And it, it ought to be something that you, you capture and memorize mentally. And portions of that you can make into, into statements that you, you can see and, 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 and have to motivate you. But it's your job description. And then we will share in teaching to be able to help us understand what we are about, who we are, and what we ought to be about doing as North Mid Assembly of God Church and also as connected to our larger family. Everybody following this, lift up one hand and shout, praise the Lord. Shout hallelujah. So lift up your hand and say, Lord, help me to catch the vision. See, vision has to be caught. And say, lift up one hand again and say, Lord, help me to learn the mission. Because it's a mission you have to learn. It's got to be taught. So in the past two weeks, we've been converging with our pastors sharing nuggets of this so that our pastors also grasp what this is about and they're teaching 
in the churches and there's excitement around our fellowship and we believe that this is a new day and God is wanting you and I to find our place in his vision. Amen. Somebody shout amen. Praise God. So then last week in part one of the message, we began to look at understanding community transformation and its place in the mission of Jesus. And in understanding community transformation and its place in the mission of Jesus, last week we began by asking the question, what is community? And we answered it preliminarily by saying that the word community initially describes a group of people held together by a common cause. And it also describes people with common interests who live in a certain location together. We also explain the fact that the meaning of this word from the Spanish is very unique. It is taken from the word comunidad, which does not refer to an area or place which, where a person lives. Rather, it discusses the love and concern that a person has or feels for another. And we therefore highlighted that this is indicative of a higher sense of the word. A higher sense of the word in the sense that it is talking about not just a location like Mandevu or Kalundu or uh, Kalingalinga. Those are locations. And yes, those talk about communities where people are living. But the principle of community is much deeper than that. And the Spanish have the right uh, rendering there because they talk about an attitude and um, a disposition of love and concern. And we were bemoaning the fact that this is what we have lost in our society. And especially when you look at the suburbs where we have these high walls, people don't know each other. Community is not about a location, just like, say, Kalundu. Community is about how we relate. And the walls we have built have caused us to be at a place where we don't know each other as neighbors. In the olden days, before many of you were born at all, some of our parents or grandparents who lived in these suburbs, and they called them Amayad in those days, even back then, as people who were considered to be in the uh, upper level of, of the then society, they didn't have the walls. They still related. They knew each other as neighbors. But today, we don't. We have these high walls and big dogs. Amen, Pazagai? Because he has one. And big dogs that scare us one from the other. So I said last week, what that does is that it takes away from our sense of communing and relating as community. But we also said in the biblical basis, on the biblical basis for community, there is the Greek word koinonia. Koinonia talks about uh, the idea of fellowship. That's the principal basis for community in the Bible. It talks about fellowship and partnership. And we need to remember that we are a community of believers. That is why we are creating this channel 
where we are expecting you to be part of. Don't just consider church as where we, you come on Sunday. We are a community of believers. Somebody shout hallelujah. We relate one to another. We are in fellowship, in partnership. We are involved with one another. And so, we emphasize that it indicates a two-way relationship, an emphasis of, on giving and receiving, which is also translated participation uh, or communion in 1 Corinthians 10. And that's a very powerful passage that we dealt with and which we've used from time to time. Is this making sense to someone here today? Lift up one hand and shout, praise the Lord. So in dealing with this, we exhausted the part of community, then we went on to exhaust a second portion where we asked ourselves the question, what is transformation? And we observe that the Greek word in the New Testament is the word metamorpho, which means to change into another form, to transform or transfigure. And it is used of the Lord Jesus Christ when he was transfigured. We highlighted four portions of scripture in the New Testament. Matthew 17 verse 2. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. Mark 9, 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. Once again, we see Jesus Christ in that transformed uh, arrangement. Another portion is Romans 12, verse 2, which many of us are familiar with. We must be transformed by the renewing of our minds. 2 Corinthians 3.18 is the fourth instance where we read, and we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, uh, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So those four portions of scripture tell us the, the essence of transformation. And in our application, we highlighted three things. First, that Jesus Christ directed the anointing to lift up and transform community. That is our occupation. Hallelujah. Secondly, that Christ crossed barriers of society. These were social barriers, some were ethnic barriers, Definitely generational barriers. He crossed all of them. And he noticed that the woman at the well asked him a question. Are you older than Jacob and all those other people? That was a generational question. And Jesus said, in responding, if you knew who you were speaking to, you would ask for living water. Because Jesus generationally superseded all those traditionally held figures that were considered important in that society. And we must use that as an opportunity for us to reach across generations. The third thing we agreed on uh, was that Christ disturbed the comfort zone. And so, we can do no less. We also shared the fact that it is not simply that evangelism and social involvement can be done alongside each other, but rather that our proclamation has social consequences. We closed by um, sharing a quote from Dr. Billy Graham. If the church went back to its main task of proclaiming the gospel and the people converted to Christ, 
it would have far greater impact on the social, moral, and psychological needs of men than it would, that it could achieve through any other thing it could possibly do. So with that, we're ready for the second part, uh, which we'll, um, uh, we will handle just now. The second part of our message is to do with understanding the mission of Christ. Remember, our theme has two parts. First of all, transforming communities, meaning community transformation. The second part of the theme for this year has to do with revisiting the mission of Christ. So I want us to do an overview, understanding the mission of Christ. Let's do an overview. We've read John chapter 4, verse 22, verse 34, and we've also read Luke chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, verse 18 and 19. Let me draw your attention to what's happening in the scenario in John chapter 4. There was a three-way encounter here. First, we have the woman at the well interacting with Jesus Christ. Samaritan woman interacting with Jesus Christ. Then we have the disciples. So there's a three-way communication there. There's a three-way encounter. That three-way encounter, in my estimation, reveals what I call a clash of kingdom priorities. It raises the question of Christ's mission. So if I draw your attention to verse number John chapter 4, I draw your attention to verse number 27. The Bible says, just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. So you have three players here. The disciples, you have Jesus, you have the Samaritan woman. But the Bible says, this is the elephant in the room. No one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people. So she has already picked on what is, is, is important here and she has gone. So in that scenario of three um, players, three sets of players, we're now left with Jesus and the disciples. This is where precisely you and I are at today. We've got the world playing its part and doing their thing. Whatever they believe is important. The church and their Lord, Jesus Christ, must now revisit what we are here for. Are we together? And this is what Jesus is wanting us to observe. And you will, not, you will notice that the ones who were lost here were the disciples. Jesus knew exactly what his task was. That is why when they were absent, he engaged in what was important to him. Everybody following? When they came back, they found him doing exactly what he knew was important for him. 
The lady he encountered, the Samaritan woman, was so impacted by that encounter that immediately she didn't have to be told, you go home now and tell other people. No, she just abandoned her job and ran into the city and began to tell people, come, because something had happened. Come and see a man. And this is where we get that, that part of that song, come and see. Hello. Come and see. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? But let's watch the disciples. Watch the disciples. So the people in Vestetti came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, everybody say with me, meanwhile. <laughs> meanwhile, the disciples. Meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. You see, their focus was on something different. And I want to ask us today. The world is busy doing its thing. Jesus is busy with what he knows is important. I want to ask, what are we as the disciples busy doing? So it raises the question of the mission. They urged him, it's something. Verse number 32. But Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Verse 33. Then the disciples say to each other, could someone have brought him food? See, they're still lost. But what you see here, beloved, describes where many of God's children are at today. Distracted. Occupied with some things that look okay, but really they aren't central to the mission of why you are alive and why the church is alive today. So we must ask ourselves the question. You're a student. Maybe you are employed. Ask yourself the question. Why am I alive? What is my mission? What am I here for? Surely, not just to come, have a job, get promoted, have a house, buy a car, get married, and what next? Or die of COVID? No. That's not part of it. There is much, much more that God has us on this earth for. And I want us to zero in on that just now by learning what Jesus says. So verse 34, which is our focus. Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Hallelujah. So, based on that passage and based on Luke 4, 1 and 2 and based on Luke 4, 18 and 19, the characteristic focus of the mission of Christ is as follows. And I'll highlight just what we need to focus on just for the lesson. Then we'll come back to this in the coming week. 
Number one. In answering the question, what is Christ's ultimate mission? What is Christ's ultimate mission? Number one, it's the salvation of souls. Number two, it's the prophetic. And this word is so adulterated, we will share with you what it really means. Prophetic, prophetic, what do they mean? We will see from Jesus what prophetic really means. Number three, it is spirit empowered. And this is why our mission statement is really to bear spirit empowered, Christ-centered, transformational witness that impacts every sphere of society. Now that's the mission that we're teaching from and that's the mission we are unpacking. Which means, when you answer the question, why am I here? If you're a teacher or a businessman, I go back to what we've taught before. You are first of all a Christian who happens to be a teacher. Not a teacher who happens to be a Christian. You are a Christian who happens to be a teacher. Meaning, your being a teacher must now conform to why you are here. Because you are here to do the work of Christ. Somebody shout hallelujah. And if you do that, if your Christianity informs your profession as a teacher, you are a world changer. If your Christianity informs your profession as an accountant, you are a world changer. And that's what Jesus meant for us to be. But first, let's take a look at the importance of the salvation of souls. That's number one, salvation of souls. We are all quite familiar with John chapter 3, verse 16. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Beloved, I must tell you with a little bit of sorrow and concern that when I survey averagely the disposition of the majority of churches around the world, Souls, unfortunately, are not at the top of the agenda. Today, the church has gotten into the very same syndrome of being just a consumer of goods and services, amassing things that make us feel good and better about ourselves and feel like we're on top of someone else. We're doing better than so-and-so, better than that person, better than the other. We're making the money. 
we are surviving, and all these things have their place, but they can't be the primary occupation. Once you have come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, agenda number one, if you are to align with Jesus Christ, is to bring souls into the kingdom. Souls into the kingdom. And if this doesn't feature right now, you and I must come before the Lord. And this is the year when God wants to zap you and I with the power of the Holy Spirit so souls can come to the center again. Somebody shout hallelujah. So look at the cities. The cities, take Lusaka for example. Mentioned this before. You have people moving from church to church. And I've said before, that's not church growth. Church growth is when God's people do exactly what Jesus was doing. They find the likes of the Samaritan woman. They can perceive that these people, although they may be making it in life, they may be making it career-wise, business-wise, and any other wise. But the biggest question that must be asked is, do they know Jesus as Lord and Savior? And this year, beloved, for every one of you who are born again, in case you are at a place where this has never been featuring in your heart, there is a way in which we slowly slide back. It's like being in a backslidden state. Every child of God must have as number one preoccupation to bring someone else to Jesus Christ. And I would like you to make one, one commitment. We're not in church in the next two Sundays. You need to be thinking, how can I reach out to somebody? You young people are versatile with your phones and you do all kinds of things. I want you to learn and there is a way you can do it. You can use that phone to reach your friends for Jesus Christ. Quit this, this useless stuff of just picking up a video here and a video there and taking pictures of yourself and posting them and saying you're feeling blue, you're feeling yellow, and now you want this friend and that friend. You are for more than that, beloved. Jesus has come into your life. He has saved you for a reason. He has turned you from darkness to light. It is your turn to bring someone else to Jesus Christ. We are under a mandate, beloved to bring souls into the kingdom. The people out there do not know the Lord. You know the passage in John chapter one and verse number one. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Ah, but let's go back to verse number 11. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God. You 
are the ones that God has sent. John chapter 4, chapter 1, verse 6 says, There was a man sent from God. There was a man sent from God. Let it be said in Lusaka, Zambia, in 2021, there was a man sent from God. His name was Triumph. There was a woman sent from God. Her name was Irene. Let it be said that there was someone whom God could depend upon. And this is no time, beloved, to warm pews and sit there and come to church and look for something to just lift you up. You must be at a place where as you are seeking for people who must come to Christ, I can assure you, it's automatic growth. When you bring people into the kingdom, you can't stay the same. You have no time for backsliding. You have no time to go to the beer hall. You have no time to go to the dance hall and just be enjoying asking, is it okay to drink beer or not? You have no time for those things. Soul winning changes you, transforms you. It helps you to grow. And I'm calling upon God's people to be at that place. And you might be asking, but how do I win souls? We'll teach you this year. But even before we do, exactly what happened to you is what we must, you must share. It's that simple. So what we must see in this time when people are resorting to electronic means, let us have a multiplicity of evangelistic outreaches by you young people sharing the gospel on the phone, leading your friends to a conversation. Some of you will unfriend you. Good riddance. When they see you quoting the Bible, if they unfriend you, that's good. It's okay. They're already hearing the message of Jesus. It's okay. Salvation of souls, that's top on the agenda. So you will see that what we're doing also is not only reminding ourselves as North Mid Assembly, we're reminding the entire fellowship to focus on what matters. We're expecting all our churches to revisit the mission of Jesus and to begin to preach the message. It's not about just money and buildings. It's not that at all. When we do what God wants us to do, the money and buildings will come. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. So we're talking about planting churches in many locations because we believe that the church is the answer. And in every community, as we have these transformation centers where churches are speaking up for Jesus Christ, we know that we will be transforming the nation. So, salvation of souls is the highest of God's agenda. Highest kingdom agenda. But let me highlight the fact that salvation of souls thrives on exclusive personal devotion to God alone. Meaning, God will not share you with some other love. You hearing the message of Jesus? Last week, I said we'll talk a little bit more about 1 Corinthians chapter 10. When we're reading 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the last part, verse 22, I said we'll talk about it a little more. So let's do that right now. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and verse number 22. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy, are we stronger than he? 
So you might wonder, what is it that arouses or provokes God's jealousy? This is a positive thing, by the way. Because jealousy is provoked when you and I do not give exclusive devotion to him. When your attention is on the pleasures of this life, when you give more attention to your job than to God's issues. Are you hearing me, beloved? When you give more attention to the pleasures, things that you really like, things that please you. When there is compromise. The best way for us to understand this is to go to Exodus chapter 20 and to read verse number five. Exodus chapter 20, to read verse number five. I won't be long at all. Let me just lay this ground and share the preempt the next two items and we'll come back to them in the next week. But we want to dwell on this just a little bit more. Exodus 20, Exodus 20 verse 5, the Bible says, You shall not bow down to them and worship them. For I am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. I can read on verse six, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love and keep my commandments. So you might ask, what does this really mean? It's very simple. God is saying he will not have rivalry. He will not have something else or someone else compete for time. In other words, God is saying, I don't want competition. I own you and you're exclusively mine. That's what God is saying. So which means he's saying, which means that in the moments when our devotion, our commitment is half-hearted, where we are torn between two. One minute we are in church, the other minute we are at uh, Grandad. Because you know what goes on there? Nothing godly. And I personally believe a true believer cannot be in a jamming place like, like that. Because that's, that's worldly. In John, first John chapter 2, in verses 15, 16, and 17, the Lord makes it very, very clear. Do not love the world, nor anything that is in the world. For all that is in the world, he says, anyone who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Verse 16, for everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of the eyes, the boasting of what he has and does. When they go to a weekend, boy, 
granddad etina jama nzimvela na kunzimvela everything that was in the world, oh i don't know what the the hot spot is in, in i don't even know because i don't go there so i don't know what the hot spots are huh Oh, Pinacomo is also a hotspot. Okay. Roma, okay. Okay. Those days, it was Gentemba and those places, but you know, the generation that goes to Gentemba is different, but I must still speak to you too. It comes not from the Father, but from the world. And verse 17, the world and his desires pass away. But the man or the woman who does the will of the Lord abides forever. And may that be your portion. I said, may that be your portion. So, when Exodus chapter 20 verse 5 says that God does not want us to bow down to worship Anything, meaning when you're giving anything else or anyone else, when you're giving attention to those things, it's like a form of worship. It's, it's almost like an idol worship in that sense. And that provokes the jealousy of God. In other words, he wants you and I exclusively belonging to him. What's assumed in that relationship is that we are in covenant with God. We're in covenant relationship. A covenant relationship means we have agreed that we'll walk with God, we are for God, we are for Him only. So when you are turning your eyes to the things of the world, you are breaking the covenant. Do you hear me, beloved? Breaking the covenant. And that's what provokes jealous of God. Now, when he says, he talks about provoking his jealousy, it also means that when you persist in those ways, at the right time, he is under obligation to judge. That is why it says he judges iniquity from the first generation to the second to the third. From the children to the parents. Or from the parents going down in that particular sense, carrying on for generations, for as long as the covenant has been violated. But listen, why should we even be giving attention to the world when God has given us the privilege of living with him exclusively and giving us the opportunity to be the bearers of his witness? So theologically we say, jealous, this holy jealousy is part of God's vocabulary of love. It's a love that's exclusive. It's a love that's committed not for today, not for tomorrow. It's committed for eternity. Somebody shout hallelujah. It's not like this thing where you're committed for 10 years and, let's, and people these days are saying, you know, they make those things they call uh, pre-nuptials. Uh, uh, what do you call them? Okay. You make those, those commitments and just say, okay, let's see how it will go. If after two years we are okay, then we can maybe sign a few things. 
And it's become like that, where marriage is like a contract. No. The covenant arrangement is for life. And you and I must live for Jesus in that fashion. The idea is love and allegiance. So when we sing the song, I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. With all I have, with all I am. I will seek to honor his command. I pledge allegiance. So this thing is about allegiance and commitment. And that is why you and I, beloved, once Jesus is at the center, once the love for souls is really driving you and I, God's blessing will follow you. Because that's what God is expecting. The allegiance and the commitment. Oh, may that be your portion in Jesus' name. Next week when we come together, I'd like to speak about the, second, the, two, the next two items. The prophetic as well as the empowerment. Today, I wanted us to start on this journey of understanding the mission of Christ. And to begin by assessing where are we at in regard to carrying out this mission of bringing the lost into the kingdom. Bringing those who are in the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, which we have experienced. He came to his own, but his own received him not. Will you and I, like the disciples, be about our own personal business, not sure of what to do? The world can continue on its path. They can continue on their agenda. But you and I and our Lord, we have a mission. And the mission is to convert the world to Jesus. We used to sing a song, unless the choir to come. Heaven is my destination. Heaven is my home. I'm going to see my Lord. I have a task before me. Convert the world to Jesus. I am praying, beloved, that in this new year, there will be something fresh happening. That as you enter the doors of this church, you will make no mistake as to where we stand. We are about souls for Jesus Christ. We are about reaching and rich peoples and nations. We are about possessing the land, not for ourselves. We want to populate the kingdom with new souls. There are people around us who do not know Jesus. And you are I carry the mandate to bring them down to the cross, kneeling, confessing, calling upon Jesus. And I'm asking God for the outpouring of the power of the Holy Spirit because there is nothing else that can help us to understand how lost and how far we have moved from this commitment unless we have an encounter with the King of Kings and the Lord of, of, of Lords. And I've been in prayer asking God, God, what must we do? We don't need any tricks anymore. We've had enough of these tricks from the charlatans that are out there. You and I must just love Jesus. Love Him madly madly, zealously. When we, do, when we do that, we will have a revelation of what matters to Him. And souls are at the top of the kingdom. Since when did you bring a soul to Christ? Last. And if each one of us made this one commitment, just find one soul to bring into the kingdom. It means immediately, for the number that's here now, you'll be double. Ah, but we must have the encounter. Please rise.